We are in the book of Philippians uh, for this semester. And I chose this, I chose this book uh, with the thought that um, I think oftentimes we, we, and I know college students, lose sight of um, our priorities. We miss the big picture. We forget that at the end of the day, um, Christ is coming. Uh, Christ is surely coming and uh, he is returning and he's um, ushering in his kingdom here on earth and all these things. And, and for now, uh, we're called to endure, we're called to persevere, we're called to press on as we'll study. And I just hope that <clears throat> this pressing on, this endurance wouldn't be so much a begrudging one, uh, but one filled with joy and knowing that this Christian life is difficult, absolutely, 100%. But uh, this this Christian life, as we live in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, is is a joyful one. And so that's that's the primary theme of this book. It's the primary message I want to communicate to all of us that... Um, we are to persevere, but we're called to persevere with, with joy. And so, turning your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians, if you're not there already. And tonight will be an introduction of sorts. Uh, I hope by the end of our study together, you would love the letter to the Philippians. Uh, I hope you would find uh, deep, connecting, applicable truths for your life and um, in your walk with Christ in, in this season known as college and, and afterwards. Um, I, I hope and I pray that uh, through this study, how you view Christ, uh, how you see Him, His character, His uh, perfections, His life, His death and resurrection uh, would become so much more precious to you um, so that you would... You would then live, breathe, study, work, fall in love, have your heart broken, whatever. <clears throat> Find yourself in the um, the deepest, darkest pits in life, uh, and also rejoice in the the, the highest of heights um, of life, all with Christ in His rightful place, in in right perspective. Um, in the book of Philippians, we find some of the most Precious, uh, quotable, uh, memorizable verses in all of Scripture. You have verses such as, uh, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Um, have this attitude amongst yourselves that you would count others more significant than yourself. Uh, Paul says, I count everything as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Uh, for I've learned to be content regardless of my circumstances. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So I hope as we study each verse in its context, uh, that your faith would be deepened, uh, your fellowship would be sweetened, uh, and of course your 
your service to Jesus would be, would be all the more enjoyable. Uh, and the ultimate goal uh, for me as a shepherd of sorts, I guess, is that you would persevere all the more. Uh, you persevere for the sake of Christ. Uh, and for Christ, you would um, apply yourself and you would uh, endure and for the ultimate goal to, to see him face to face at the end of the race that he's given you. Uh, so by the way of introduction, we're studying the letter of, to the Philippians um, for this introductory sermon Bible study, I guess. Uh, we'll look at the, the author, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we'll look at Philippi, the city, the area, the, the occasion, the surrounding context of this letter. And, and we'll, we'll finally look at um, Paul's overarching theme, which is joyful perseverance. Joyful perseverance. How the Christian should and must press on in this life with joy in Christ. So just three spheres of introduction for tonight. The author Paul, the place Philippi, and the message perseverance. The author Paul, the place Philippi, and the message perseverance. And so let's look at the man himself, the author, the apostle Paul. Um, Paul was a man just like you and me. He called himself the least of the apostles, not just because he saw the risen Christ last on the Damascus Road, but also because he persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians. Before his conversion, he was Saul, an up-and-coming Jew in the Pharisaical tradition. He studied under the prominent Pharisee uh, Jew uh, named Gamaliel. Uh, Luke wrote in Acts that Saul was breathing threats of violence and went to the Jewish council to receive permission to persecute Christians abroad. Um, this testimony is familiar and it's beloved to, to us. Jesus stops him in his tracks on the road to Damascus and asks him why Saul is persecuting himself. Why is Saul persecuting Christ? As Christ, or as Saul, excuse me, persecuted the church, he was in fact persecuting her Savior, Jesus. And there Saul was changed. Uh, Christ our Lord, like he's done to saints in the past, gives him a new name to signify a new nature. Abram became Abraham, Jacob became Israel, so on and so forth. And Saul became Paul, a name that means small or humble. And as we'll study in this letter, I think his character certainly embodied the meaning of his name. Uh, Paul would then be radically transformed. He would preach the good news of the gospel wherever he went. He could not stop telling other people about Jesus. Uh, he set up his home base, his home church in Antioch, and there him and his partner Barnabas and other men would be sent out on missionary journeys, three in total, and in the book of Acts, and they toured much of the known world, and they would plant churches. They call upon people to repent and believe in the gospel of Christ. Uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and, uh, but he would not ignore his kinsmen, the Jews. Every city he went, he would first go into the synagogue, and he would do his best to explain the gospel to them and point Christ as the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy and many Jews would listen to him and many would not. Uh, he would preach and 
before he would be inevitably forced out by the rulers and authorities, he would then turn to the Gentiles. He would preach Christ and see people saved, and he would do that until he would be inevitably forced out, and this time out of the city. Not before a church would be established, though. As Paul moved on, a part of his heart remained with the city and its church, her people. Paul would then write letters to these churches. Uh, They would be intimate. They would reveal his heart. He would be firm with their issues, but still have an aroma of grace about him. He would teach them uh, the deep doctrines concerning the gospel, um, justification by faith alone, um, the church and her her role in the world, the, the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, the profundities of our union with Christ and for our letters the the joys of perseverance in Christ Um, Paul was no stranger to persecution as it fueled his joy Uh, he knew that as he was persecuted he bore the same stripes as his savior Um, Paul would eventually be thrown in jail for what seemed to be the thousandth million time whatever and then that time when he would not be freed after the canon of scripture was completed paul was under house arrest and there he wrote more and more to the churches and he would be released but then he would be thrown back again and that time he would eventually be sent to rome and was eventually beheaded um, during the reign of nero one of the most anti-christian emperors in roman history Uh, but not before Paul's ministry and his letters, which a majority became the rest of the New Testament canon, uh, before these things uh, transformed the world. Uh, Our letter finds itself during a time of house arrest, uh, most likely after the last chapter of Acts. Um, Here Paul finds himself chained to a Roman guard, As this letter indicates, much of the Roman praetorium or guard knows about Paul and his situation. And yet Paul writes. He writes and he writes and he writes because he loves. He loves the church of God. He loves her people. Uh, He loves, of course, his Savior, Jesus. And this is where I want to slow down on Paul's story. I want us to pause and give consideration Do you get overwhelmed by Paul's spiritual resume? Uh, Does his godliness um, overshadow you and and make you feel ashamed for your own Christian life? Uh, Do you compare your conversion, uh, your testimony to Paul's when you read it and you think, well, there's a good reason why Paul is so godly. He has seen the risen Christ. Uh, Not once, but multiple times. And so this is where I want to stop and give you a point of application. Um, In this book, in this letter, Paul will dispel any notion of spiritual superiority and explain that he is the the lowest, the least, all credentials he may have had. Uh, He has counted as loss or rubbish or scubalon, if there's a word to remember, uh, because he understood and he wants you to Understand that in the eyes of Christ, in the eyes of the Savior, uh, there is not one person more worthy of grace than another. 
nor is there anyone less deserving of it. We are all equal yet desperate recipients of grace. Uh, So therefore, uh, a life such as Paul's should inspire, absolutely. Uh, It should encourage us to press on, to push forward in our race like he did. Um, Paul ran his race with great fervor and equal humility. Uh, He does so not just to set an example for us, but more his example is a byproduct of his love. His love for Jesus came first. He loved him. And we can learn from that. We can imitate him as he imitated his Savior. Um, Paul is no patron saint, as the Roman Catholics like to venerate and worship him. He was a normal Christian, um, gripped by his sin, yet transformed by the gospel, and ultimately redeemed in Jesus. And that is, in essence, the same testimony you and I share. Uh, Therefore, uh, take heart, Christian. Uh, Look at the life of Paul, of course, and praise your Savior, because uh, the one as least as Paul, uh, the persecutor of the church, the hater of Christ, is not too far out of grace's reach, nor are you and me too far from grace. So that's the author, Paul. Um, I don't want to belabor the point, belabor the man, because that's not the focus of his ministry. He didn't exalt himself. He exalted his Savior, Jesus. And so now we move to the place, Philippi. Um, Let's move to the destination, the the audience, the people and church Paul wrote to. Uh, We are secondhand beneficiaries of this letter. As every letter has an original audience and the author writes to this letter has one as well. Uh, the church in Philippi, the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Uh, Philippi is located in eastern Macedonia, the upper eastern tip of Greece. Uh, it is where uh, Paul in his second missionary journey was first called to uh, in a vision that later became known as the Macedonian vision. Uh, Paul would set sail west from the region of Galatia. Uh, so Galatia is right here. Sorry, let me mirror it for you. So Galatia is right here. And so he sets sail west uh, to Macedonia where present day uh, Philippi rests. Um, and in his missionary journey, he arrives to Philippi first. Uh, If you look at Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul recounts his, or Luke recounts Paul's first interactions and ministry there. So turn over there real fast. I'll just read a couple of verses so you just get a sense of the birth of this church. Acts chapter 16. Uh, We'll read verses 11 to 15 first. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. 
and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Um, so here we have the first convert in Philippi, a woman named Lydia. Uh, Paul and his companion Silas would be uh, thrown into prison afterwards after exercising a demon-possessed girl who was being abused for profit. And then... In prison, we'd have the Philippian jailer account where Paul and Silas would wait in jail at night and there would be an earthquake sent by the Lord and the jailer would try to kill himself thinking that he has failed his job and Paul says, don't kill yourself for we are all here. And the jailer would be converted, he and his family as well. And so from these two families, uh, the church is born. Uh, there they believed in God and the gospel and they began to congregate together. Uh, so later when Paul writes to them under house arrest, wh the church would have definitely grown. Uh, they partnered with Paul in the gospel. Paul would conclude his letter entreating certain women to be at peace with one another. Women that weren't mentioned, weren't mentioned in Acts 16. Along other names of now fellow workers who must have heard the gospel and was saved. They sought to partner with Paul in sending and receiving gifts, obviously probably financial gifts. They helped in whatever way they could in providing for Paul's needs. Uh, certainly they were very beloved by Paul and they were very near and dear to his heart. They would share in their fair share of attacks from false teachers. These false teachers who Paul says were jealous of his ministry, um, they're not disclosed to us. They could be Judaizers, the, the group who tried to co-op Judaism with Christianity by leading people astray, the, teaching them that you must first, first come through the religious system of Judaism um, through circumcision, through dietary restrictions, um, before you can come to Christ. Uh, this is the most, this group is most akin to the description in chapter 3, verse 2. Um, Paul in a different letter, a letter to the Galatians would refute them soundly for they misunderstood what justification by faith means. Um, but, the Paul, the, but, but the group Paul makes mention here is unclear to us. Um, they could simply be jealous men who sought Paul's fame and reputation by preaching the gospel despite Paul. Um, and, but whoever this group was, Paul, like any other good shepherd, sought to guard his precious flock by warning them of this group and 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 informing the church how to deal with these people. And we'll, we'll get into that. So whoever Paul's enemies were, uh, the point I think for us and for the Philippians is clear. is to be alert. Uh, be discerning. Watch out for false doctrine and false practice. We would do well through the Holy Spirit in discerning what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, lovely, commendable, and of excellence. Um, we would do well to think and practice these things. Uh, and lastly, we can learn from this Philippian church. They loved Paul as they loved the gospel. Uh, they were moved and motivated by the gospel. Um, they 
valued the local church and her mission, and they dedicated their lives to her. Um, Rachel and I are new to this area. Uh, we're still learning the ins and outs of Nipa, uh, and we are intrigued by this school. Uh, we're also concerned. We are concerned with how our students view the local church. Um, do you prize her like these people do? Uh, do you treasure her as the bridegroom Jesus treasures, prizes her bride and gave himself up for her? So what a goal of mine, is what you will hopefully see from this letter is the attitude a Christian must have towards the church. Uh, one through her warts and blemishes is still prized and valued uh, because our Savior Jesus has ransomed her. For himself. Um, so as we are encouraged to press on towards Christ likeness, let's adopt the same attitude towards the church uh, as these people obviously did. This brings us to our last sphere of introduction we'll look at, and it's the message perseverance. Um, Philippians is not the only letter. That touches upon this theme. You have the book, the letter to the Hebrews. You have First and Second Timothy, Titus. You have Revelation, Second Thessalonians, you know, so on and so forth. There's this theme runs throughout the New Testament. Uh, but this letter comes at this theme uh, with an angle of joy, of a deep abiding joy we have and we share in Christ. Because of who Christ is, we have joy. And because we have joy, we can persevere. Um, that is the chain of thought I want you to keep on the forefront of your minds as we study this letter. Because of who Christ is, we have joy. And because that we have joy, we can persevere. Um, chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I would argue that this is one of, if not uh, the chief verse, the, the theme, main, main idea verses, thesis verses of the entire book. It is God who brings us to completion. Uh, he is the one who started it, and so therefore he'll be the one who finishes it. Uh, therefore we have joy, we have hope, we have endurance, and we persevere. The letter will explain to us that, that even as God is working through us to bring us to completion, that we partner ourselves with him in that work. Uh, Paul explains to us this synergistic work of sanctification. As we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Paul writes, God is the one who works and wills in us for his good pleasure. Uh, my hope is that this book will inform your day-to-day -day living. That as we progress through this book, uh, you would meditate on its truth uh, day by day throughout the week. Uh, you would think about what motivates you, uh, what encourages you, what depresses you, and why. All this will circle around the gospel, to the gospel. Uh, take notice of the centrality of the gospel as it permeates every line of thought Paul writes. 
the gospel will be central and I hope a product of our study that you would assess yourself to see if you are gospel-centric, gospel-centered like Paul is. Or you merely just do gospel-centered things without the heart behind it. I pray that you would be moved by the gospel. That if you are in Christ, your, your faith would be strengthened, it would be enhanced, it would be enriched. Uh, you would love Jesus and his bride even more than when we started. Uh, for you who say you are in Christ and you find your life opposite to the life Paul describes here, I, I pray that you would examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Uh, you would repent. You would trust in Christ anew as his mercies are new. They are plentiful for you, as we said, and grace is ever-present as uh, our Savior is ever-willing to lavish His grace upon you. And if you don't know this, Jesus, you're here because you have nowhere else to be. I, I don't know. Or you're seeking answers. I pray that God would reveal Himself to you through His Word, through this letter that He would enlighten your eyes and renew your heart, that you would be born again. You would, be, uh, you would come to see Christ for who He truly is, the, the Son of God who has come to save people from their sins by going to the cross, by taking the penalty for man's place, and by raising Himself on the third day, declaring victory over sin, uh, so that you and me, sinners, by nature and by choice, may come to believe, may come to trust in this Savior Jesus and be saved and be healed and be reconciled to God. So, as a conclusion to this introduction, I wish that I wish to read to you the letter Paul wrote to the Philippians. All right? I'll read the entire thing. Here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. For the former, 
proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy and faith in the faith so that in me you have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send 
him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I treat, I entreat, Iodia and I treat Syndiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you have sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus reads the very word of our living God. Let's pray. Father God, we embark on endeavor, an endeavor that requires much from us. We know that in our giving our lives to you, you have saved us and now you sanctify us and you are doing a work that will bring us to completion, bring us to true and perfect Christ-likeness. And so, God, in the meantime, help us to persevere with joy. Help us to see the race set before us that you have set it. You have paved our way. You have carved our path. And so, Lord, we can run with endurance. We can run with joy. We can run knowing that the hope set before us will never, never put us to shame. And so, God, bless um, these dear brothers and sisters. Bless these students on campus. I pray that our little Bible study would be effective much for your kingdom. May others hear and see Christ as a result of this study, we pray. In your son's precious name, amen.